At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Take a pause from your to-do list with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. This is VEASAN's College Basketball Betting Podcast. Here is your host, Tim Murray. Welcome in, everyone. Another edition of the VSIN College Basketball Betting Podcast. The Final Four is here, and just like we all predicted, Florida Atlantic against San Diego State, Miami versus UConn. No one, two, or three seed for the first time ever in the history of the NCAA tournament. Multiple podcasts for you this week. First episode, Adam Burke at Skating Tripods on Twitter later this week. I think it about Thursday, myself and Matt Humans will get together to break down the final four and then TBD, but definitely something for you guys to get ready for the championship. A kudos to you, sir, Mr. Burke. Uh, a very hot sweet 16, which is what everyone likes to see. And uh, hopefully we can keep it rolling. Only two games to pick from here, but here we go. The final four is here. Yeah, I've been streaky over the last couple of years, honestly, whether it's the baseball article or the college basketball article, for whatever reason. Just uh, I get hot, I get cold, I get hot, I get cold. But uh, it's been a good month of March here so far, especially over the last couple of weeks. So, you know, ending on a high note is is definitely a positive thing. And look, I mean, we got, uh, you said two games, but we got four because we got the <laughs> NIT semifinals on Tuesday night. We, we we will uh, touch on those NIT semifinals a little bit uh, a little bit later on, but um, you know here we stand. It's Florida Atlantic out of the East Region, the nine seed. San Diego State out of the South, the five seed. Miami, Florida, the five seed out of the Midwest, and UConn out of the West, the four seed. And uh, 
Interestingly enough, I bet against two of them in the first round, and I thought I should have won both of those bets. I had Memphis going against FAU, a game that Memphis had the lead uh, in the final seconds, and ultimately it was a FAU bucket missed call, in my opinion. But, you know, I tweeted this out, and then Miami, of course, was up or down by eight with five minutes to go. But, you know, I, I don't want people to to think that I was – saying this as a knock. I mean, the, the the margins, Adam, are so paper thin, as we know, maybe outside of UConn, who's just obliterated everybody in their path. But year after year, you can find teams that make runs, that have a fortunate bounce go their way. Uh, someone brought up to me, and they're absolutely right, 2018, when Loyola made their Final Four run, they needed a buzzer beater to beat Miami in the first round. So, um, you know, Miami and FAU, pretty fortunate to get out of their first round matchups. And they're both in the final four. And, you know, matchups are, are, are is what it's all about. And I think these two are, are pretty interesting uh, matchups that we'll get on Saturday. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, look, it, you know, it's it's still a series of one game samples in the NCAA tournament. And, and a lot of things can happen. And, you know, we kind of talk about this coming into the tournament. Like, in theory, all of these teams are pretty good, right? I mean, they're either teams that got an at-large berth or teams that won their conference championship. So they should be pretty good. I mean, if Fairleigh Dickinson was the worst team in the field. And, of course, you know, they go and beat a number one, just kind of illustrating how crazy this tournament's been. But in a one-game sample, I mean, you know, Florida Atlantic was a top 40 team almost all year long, at least top 45, top 50. This is a good basketball team. And, you know, things happen in the NCAA tournament, certainly. There's a lot of variance in the one-game samples, but FAU's a good team. Miami has been in elite offense all year long. Defensively, they've had some issues. But you know what? When you go out there and you're scoring 85, 89, 88 points in the last three games, I don't care how bad you are defensively. That puts a lot of pressure on the other team to keep pace with you, and Indiana, Houston, and Texas weren't able to do that. Let's get to the first matchup, uh, Florida Atlantic taking on San Diego State. And right now, as we talk on a Monday evening, it is San Diego State minus two with a total of 131 and a half. And, you know, I bet Creighton on Sunday. Uh, it was a good weekend up until Sunday. And I had Creighton on Sunday. And I felt like they just kind of ran out of gas. Uh, a team that's not deep, Creighton and San Diego State, they are a very physical team, and I felt like as the game wore on, you you noticed that. Now, it came down to a, a call at the end that, look, as a Creighton backer, initially I'm frustrated saying you can't make that call, but ultimately it was the right call. Nemhard had his hand on the hip. It was a it was a loosely called game, but I think ultimately as, a, as the anger subsided, I felt like, all right, it was probably the right call there. You know, FAU, on the other hand, they withstood the physicality of Tennessee down at the half and then pulled away in the second half and then, you know, took a ton of punches from Marquise Noel. Keontae Johnson gets in foul trouble. Uh, they reap the benefits of that. So on the surface, immediately, Adam, the the fact that this Florida Atlantic team does go very deep and has faced a San Diego-style team already in this NCAA tournament, I don't necessarily think this is a spot where FAU is going to be bullied 
and not really know what to do with the the physicality that San Diego State brings to the table. So, uh, you know, we'll get to, you know, if there's a bet to be placed, but I, I truly think this is a, a, a straight up coin toss type of game, knowing how FAU has kind of faced a San Diego style, uh, San Diego style uh, of play so far this year. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that's pretty helpful for FAU here is is not only have they played a physical team, but they've played kind of a skilled, you know, very sound and deep offensive team in Memphis. You know, Fairleigh Dickinson, kind of it is what it is. I mean, you know, I don't really think we can take too much out of that game. They faced that physical Tennessee team with a really good defense, and they played a Kansas State team that, you know, the pick and roll was very, very effective for the Wildcats against Michigan State. It was still you know, reasonably effective against FAU, but they've played three very, very different teams here in the tournament. And as you said, now they play a team that's kind of more similar towards Tennessee and San Diego State. Better coach teams, certainly, as, you know, I'll I'll go ahead and take another shot at Rick Barnes because I really like to do that. But yeah, Florida (laughs) Atlantic's played a variety of different teams here and, you know, they've been able to make it through. So I do think that they are well-equipped for this game. There are some things about this game I don't like for them that we can get into into deeper detail with, but I do think it is a positive that, you know, they've played a team that is physical, is able to kind of push you around. And I also think it's good that San Diego State's played Alabama and Creighton because Florida Atlantic is a team that, you know, while their defensive metrics are pretty solid, this is a really good offensive team. Top 45, essentially, in three-point percentage and two-point percentage. San Diego State's played a good offense in Alabama played a good offense in Creighton, and beat both of them. So I think both of these teams, their paths have them well-equipped for this matchup. Let's start with the total real quickly. It's a pretty low total. We've seen a little bit of money come in on the under. This thing opened 132.5 and down to 131.5. There's still a 132 out there as we record uh, at Caesars. Um, So a little bit of movement towards the under, which makes sense. San Diego State has, for the most part, been able to dictate the pace of everybody that they've played so far in this NCAA tournament. Uh, the under has gone under, uh, the under has hit, I should say, in all four of their games. You know, something that I was peeking at, but man, it's it's a really razor-thin type of situation, right, when you have a total in the first half of 61 uh, at most spots. But, you know, Tennessee, when they played... Uh, Florida Atlantic, it was 27 to 22 at the break. You know, you are playing at, you know, in a stadium where the sights could be a little, little off there. But once again, one team hits a couple threes and, and you're, you're struggling there to, to stay under 61 in the first half. Any thoughts on the total? Uh, Because like I said, you know, you look at uh, how San Diego state has dictated the pace and, you know, the, the one team that is similar stylistically and is the number one team in the country defensively, Tennessee, San Diego State is the number four team defensively. You had an under game there as well. So any thought on the total of FAU and San Diego State? Yeah, I think of the the four, you know, primary options, I'll call them here in the final four, either side or either total. I, I do like the under in this game. And I you know I expected it to go down. I'm not surprised that it's gone down. I, I probably should have jumped in earlier, but I've been trying to get ready for the baseball season with with some final preparations. So, you know, kind of uh, allotting my time that way. But with that being said, when you look at this game specifically, 
know, Florida Atlantic likes to shoot threes. This is a football stadium that they'll be playing in. Very, very different sight lines to be sure. Also, I you could see this game tighten up a little bit. It, it felt like in the Sweet 16, we had more points because we had a lot more pace. There was a lot more energy on the floor. In the Final Four, kind of puckering a little bit. You know, you, you don't want to be the team that makes that big mistake. So I think these teams kind of tighten up a little bit. I could see this being a very slow first half. But the way that Florida Atlantic shoots threes and, and really has to rely on them, I mean, 44% of their shots are three-pointers. That's a lot when you go into a venue such as this. But then on the flip side, for San Diego State, they don't get to the rim a whole lot. A lot of their shots are mid-range jumpers or three-pointers, about 75% or about 70% of their shots. And Florida Atlantic is really good at defending in the paint because they've got the 7-1 guy in, in Goldeen. So it's one of those things to me where I think we have a lot of jump shots in this game, and, and I don't think that bodes well for either offense in this setting. So I, I do agree with this move towards the under. And honestly, it would concern me a little bit with the Florida Atlantic side that, you know, they're going to be taking a lot of threes in a very unfamiliar, very different kind of shooting backdrop. So we finally saw, and I've been begging for it, we finally saw FAU shoot to their capabilities against Kansas State. In that game against Kansas State, they were 9 of 23 from 3, 39%, which was about what they shoot or shot all regular season. They were 37% from the from 3 entering the NCAA tournament, and then they were 25 of 86 through the first three games. Now, they were able to sustain that and get victories, obviously, and you know they got a, a little hot there in the second half, even though shooting just uh, around 30%, 8 for 27. But let me bring this up to you, because San Diego State is a team that has done an incredible job of making their opponents struggle from the outside. They are second in the country, an opponent field goal, three-point field goal percentage at 27.8%. You look at Creighton, a team that shoots the three a ton, just went two of 17 from three. Alabama, who shoots a ton of threes, not as prolific as some, but three of 27 in that game. And then you also look at the three victories that they had against Utah State. Most recently in the Mountain West Championship game, the Aggies were four of 24 from three in that one. So do you think this continues to carry over? Because like you mentioned, Florida Atlantic is a team that is a pretty pretty good three-point shooting team. Not an amazing one, but pretty darn good. And they shoot a ton of them, right? So does those do those numbers for San Diego State carry over into this spot uh, where you're facing a team in FAU that's just going to want to bomb threes on a regular basis? Yeah, I certainly think it's a possibility. And and something else about this game, too, when you look at Florida Atlantic, they've been really good on the offensive glass in this tournament. And they're a team that's top 100 in offensive rebounding percentage. But Memphis is a horrific defensive rebounding team, one of the worst in the country. Kansas State is not very good. And Tennessee, for as big and athletic as they are, for the, the level of recruiting talent that they're able to bring in there, they're not that great of a defensive rebounding team either. San Diego State will be the best rebounding team that Florida Atlantic has seen in this tournament so far. So if there are concerns about Florida Atlantic's ability to shoot the three against, as you mentioned, the second best three-point defense in the country, and the concerns that I have about the shooting backdrop, you look at Florida Atlantic here in this tournament, and, and we'll ignore the FDU game just for the sake of argument here. 
Offensive rebounding percentage against Memphis, 43.9%. Against Tennessee, 38.7%. Against Kansas State, 45.2%, which is how Fort Atlantic overcame the 22 turnovers that they had. They pulled down 14 offensive rebounds. If they're not getting those in this game and they're not shooting, as you mentioned, their season average of you know 36.5%, 37% from three, that makes it really, really tough for them to be able to score points against this stingy Aztec defense. So I do think there's a good chance that carries over for San Diego State. And if it does, and Florida Atlantic has a regression, a reversal of fortunes on offensive rebounds, there's a chance that this game kind of gets a little bit, I don't want to say out of hand because the pace should be slow enough to keep it from being a blowout. But I think it's a scenario where San Diego State could very well win by 8, 9, 10, something like that. You know, one thing I, I brought up on VEASAN primetime on Monday evening was Matt Bradley. Matt Bradley, leading scorer for San Diego State. And I'll be honest, if you told me Matt Bradley would have a total of eight points in San Diego's Sweet 16 and Elite Eight game, I would give you a slim and nil chance for them to be in uh, in the Final Four. But, you know, they they've withstood it. And you've had... You know, different people, most importantly, you know, Trammell step up uh, in in his struggles here. The Matt Bradley struggles on offense. Do you think this is a spot where he bounces back or do the struggles really continue? Because he has, I mean, that Alabama game, he was all over the place. Two of seven from the field and they went one of seven against Creighton. So he is a combined three of 14 from uh, from the field. In these last two games, Adam, do you think the struggles continue for the player that was the uh, really the most consistent offensive player for the Aztecs all year? Yeah, six of 21 on two point shots over the last three games, and he's 0 for 6 from three. So, you know, look, I mean, we kind of saw this a little bit in the, in the upset for Purdue where nobody wanted to shoot the ball in the last five minutes of that game. There were guys that had clean looks on the outside, and they just refused to pull the trigger. There's definitely a crisis of confidence here for Matt Bradley. And, you know, we saw his playing time dwindle a little bit. He only played 19 minutes against Alabama, only played 20 minutes against Creighton. He's not really been able to get into a rhythm here. And that is a concern because San Diego State, you know, sometimes they have problems kind of finding some offense. And as you said, Bradley's been the guy highest usage rate on the team. He's been the guy that's kind of been, you know, sort of that go-to type of player. And I'll say this. I mean, look, I, I don't know if this game will be close enough to come down to the free throw line. We'll have to wait and see if that's the case. But Bradley is an 80% free throw shooter, too. So, you know, if you're Brian Dutcher, you want to have him out there, you know, at the key points of the game. But at the same time, like, does this carry over to the free throw line for him as well and if it does does that open the door for what we could sort of call a team of destiny in Florida Atlantic I think that's a big question here too and you know I think Bradley's scoring struggles are also another reason to to look towards the under in this game he might get it going but I think given the circumstances the pressure the venue all of that it's it's tough to expect him to go out there and drop you know 14 16 points tempo wise once again you're looking at 266 for San Diego State, uh, adjusted tempo, 65.7. Uh, there were only 62 possessions in the Creighton game. 
Uh, now the Alabama game, uh, they ended up with 74 possessions and just doing a quick scan. That was one of the highest possession games in regulation that San Diego state played the entire year. Florida Atlantic feels like a team they'll they're, they're willing to play at your pace, right? Only 58 possessions against Tennessee, 73 against Kansas state and fairly Dickinson. They're a team kind of middle of the pack uh, when it comes to tempo. So, you know, I don't think Florida Atlantic's going to be, uh, you know, scared to play a slow it down. You look at uh, average possession length defensively, they make you work, right? 18 seconds per possession. So, um, you know, both of these teams pretty solid defensively. Uh, obviously, Florida Atlantic, just based off of the metrics, are a much more balanced team. Um, you know, my initial lean would be FAU plus the points just because I think it is a true coin toss game. Haven't gotten to the window yet, but yeah, I would look at that under. Uh, the more and more we talk about it and think about it, uh, I do think, you know, about the under, um, you know, my always worry and hesitation with unders is obviously, you know, fouls late in the game could lead to uh, an over situation. So I, I haven't really figured out how I'm going to attack this. You know, we could split a unit first half and full game uh, with the total here. But um, yeah, looking under and uh, a lean towards FAU, but uh, not a play yet. It sounds like, though, for you, you, you do kind of lean towards the Aztecs in this spot. Yeah, I you know, I may end up just taking San Diego State minus the two instead of getting involved with the under. I, I probably like the under a little bit more, but to your point, if this becomes a free throw fest at the end of the game, and you know, you may have a scenario where Florida Atlantic is a good three point shooting team, if they are shooting the ball relatively well, you know, they may hit some of those threes late in the game when you know San Diego State's going to the line making two, Florida Atlantic comes back down, hits a three, you know, all that kind of thing. I may ultimately end up on San Diego State here. One thing I want to mention real quick about the tempo point you brought up about Florida Atlantic, I think it's a really astute point because when you look at specifically their tempo in Conference USA games, I mean, everyone by and large plays to North Texas's tempo, but the two games against North Texas, 58 and 55 possessions. The two games against Charlotte, who's also a, one of the five slowest teams in college basketball, 59 and 57 possessions, but they were willing to run with Rice, they're willing to run with UTSA. They're willing to play at the other team's tempo quite a bit. So I guess a really astute point by you. And it makes me wonder if this game is played at San Diego State's tempo, which I think is a good working theory for us here. My concern with Ford Atlantic shooting from the outside and not getting the same offensive rebounding fortunes, they're going to have fewer possessions if they're playing the San Diego State's tempo of, you know, 64, 65 possessions, something like that. That's really not the game Florida Atlantic should play here, but it's kind of what they've done throughout the course of the season. So again, I'm, I'm just, I keep sitting here talking myself into San Diego state minus two, to be honest with you. Yeah. And I'll be honest. I keep talking my, even though I vowed off uh, totals after uh, UCLA and Gonzaga had 50 points in the first 10 minutes. And I was basically cooked from then, even though we did have a chance with UCLA uh, going 11 minutes without scoring, but yeah, it is, when you look at, and you know, we reference these, if you have a Ken Palm subscription, uh, I, I think you needed to look at the team page, but um, you know, you look at the numbers next to the score, that's the number of possessions. So Tennessee, 58, Memphis, 60, uh, Middle Tennessee, 62. Uh, like you mentioned, North Texas, who is an absolute snail, 55, 58. So, um, you know, they, they project this to be 66. Uh, possessions. 
I wouldn't be surprised if it is maybe even less than that. So uh, that is the first semifinal on Saturday night down at NRG Stadium in Houston, Texas. The nightcap has Miami, the the the, the engine that can, and UConn, who has just been an absolute bulldozer. And I'll reiterate the tweet that I put out today. Uh, put out two tweets and uh, regarding the two teams in this uh, in this situation. UConn four and ATS and is covering the number Adam by an average of 17.75 points per game. They were laying nine and a half against Iona in the first round. They trailed at halftime one by 24. We're laying four against St. Mary's one by 15, three and a half against Arkansas one by 23. And then most recently Saturday night laying two and a half against the Zags one by 28. And then on the flip side, Adam, Miami, as a dog this year, has been incredibly profitable. Nine and two against the spread this year. And in the NCAA tournament, underdog to Indiana by plus one and a half, one by 16. Underdog to Houston by eight, one by 14. And then on Sunday, three and a half point dog against Texas, one 88 to 81. So Miami has been a team, Adam, very profitable as an underdog. Uh, nine and two against the number, and here they are catching five and a half. I would guess the majority of people are just going to think that Connecticut is just going to continue to steamroll the competition all the way to another national championship. I understand the line of thinking, but the more and more I think about it, I'm kind of intrigued about taking the points here with Miami. Well, Bart Torvik's got this one, UConn minus eight. Eric Haslam over at Haslam Metrics says at UConn minus 7.2 in terms of projections for the actual score. And you see the market number is five and a half. So I think there's a certain level of respect being given to Miami because, I mean, they've played a four seed, a one seed, and a two seed, and, and they've averaged basically 87 points in those three games. And they've had at least 1.2 points per possession in all three of them. So what's really interesting about this handicap to me is – when you look at UConn and you look at how dominant they've been in this tournament, teams have had no answer for their size. You know, you mm-hmm. talked about it going into the tournament. They don't have really a true point guard, but basically everybody who's in the rotation is six five or higher. And teams just haven't really been able to adjust to that. What's interesting about this game is Miami has a little bit of size. I mean, they got a couple of guys that are six foot seven who are big contributors for them, but they're so quick. And you can have big guys, and UConn does. But what will they be able to do with Miami's dribble penetration, their quickness to get inside, create those shots? Because the thing about Miami is most of the guys that are in the rotation for them can create their own shot, which is how you end up in the top 35 in both three-point percentage and two-point percentage. They're a top 10 adjusted offensive efficiency team. They're top 25 in effective field goal percentage. Oh, and they're also 78% at the free throw line. So if UConn, with their big bodies, ends up falling, and UConn was 319th in free throw rate against this season, then things could get really interesting for this game. So UConn's size is a weapon on offense, but it might be a slight detriment given how Miami plays in this game on defense. So despite the fact that I don't really love playing overs in football stadiums like this, I do think there's a good chance we get a lot of points in this game. 
You know, what I really like about Miami, um, and we'll get to what I don't like, which is their lack of depth, which we saw rear its ugly head in Gonzaga's loss, even though they were going to lose regardless, but the foul trouble. Um, What I do like is you hit on, they shoot well from three, 33rd in the country at 36.9%, but they're great inside the arc. And, you know, I think, and I even said this, I think, on uh, on the handle with Dave Ross on Sunday, we're talking about Miami, and I said, you know, if they get hot from beyond the arc against Texas, sure, they could, they could absolutely pull off this win. They only attempted eight threes in the win against Texas. They got to the line, and, you know, Texas clearly, after they witnessed them, Miami, that is, light them up from long range, they wanted to take the three-point range around uh, away. Jordan Miller goes seven for seven from the field. Isaiah Wong, five of nine. Inside the arc, five of six. Nigel Pack went four for four inside the arc. And Poplar went four for five. In addition, in addition to uh, Omir going four for six. They are very efficient inside the arc. And then, like you mentioned, they got to the free throw line. And they don't miss free throws. Ninety-eight of thirty-two, or excuse me, twenty-eight for thirty-two, uh, in that spot in that com- comeback against Texas. I do worry a bit about what happens if Omir gets in foul trouble. Right? I mean, they, he's he's the heart and soul. He's he's really the size. Even though Jordan Miller's six-seven, Adam Omir's the big guy. Right? He's the engine. He keeps it going. I mean, he'll get a ton of boards. Remember, we talked about him. You know, oh my gosh, what if he's not healthy uh, coming into the NCAA tournament with that ankle injury they sustained against Duke? Well, his first game out, he had 14 rebounds. Next game out, he had 17 rebounds. Then he had 13 against Houston and nine against Texas. But he has not faced the size of a UConn, right? You've got Sonogo down low. Andre Jackson gets after it too. And then you go on the bench and you have, you know, Klingon, who is an absolute just huge human being. So my worry is what if Omir gets in foul trouble a la Drew Timmy, can Miami withstand that that, that loss? I will say, though, just to caveat that, Miami's guard play blows Gonzaga's guard play clear out of the water. Yeah, for sure. I think it's a fair question. I think it's a good live betting angle to consider. I mean, obviously, it's just, you know, speculation before the game trying to figure out if he gets into foul trouble or not. But if he does, to your point, that's kind of the the banger. And, you know, what was it? Um, Kelvin Sampson even said, like, that guy's the best rebounder we've faced all year. So that guy obviously commands respect from the coaches in terms of thinking about their game plan. And that would be something that would definitely hurt Miami. Could also lead to more points, too, because I feel like if he gets into foul trouble, if you're Jim Laranega, you're thinking, you know what? We got to run like we just have to push the tempo and and try to let our guards eat and, and kind of score in transition and not really let UConn get set up into their half court defense as much as possible. That's kind of what I would be looking at uh, in terms of you know some in-game adjustments and, and, and things like that. Something else I think is worth mentioning here, you know, and, and I don't think people talk enough about rebounding. In college basketball, UConn number two in the country in offensive rebounding percentage, and they haven't fully used it in this tournament. It was a big thing for them against Arkansas. It wasn't against St. Mary's. St. Mary's just a very you know responsible team in, in in a lot of areas. Gonzaga they didn't have to get many offensive rebounds in that game, 
But I do think UConn needs to pull down some offensive boards here, and they should have the opportunity because Miami's 176th in offensive rebounding percentage against. And to your point, if Omir does end up in foul trouble, which is very much a possibility given the size and physicality of UConn, that could lead to a really big advantage for the Huskies. So this game is is probably tailor-made for live betting, to, to be totally honest with you. Um, if you want to take a pregame position, you certainly can. But I think sort of reading and reacting to what's going on will make some sense. The other thing I'm kind of curious about, and there's no way of knowing this, but this season for UConn, they played six games decided by six or fewer points out of the 37 that they've played. They won one of them. They were one in five in games decided by six or fewer points. They've had four blowouts in the NCAA tournament so far. What if this game is close? Like, how does UConn react in a close game when they really haven't played one in, you know, they haven't played one in the NCAA tournament. They lost to Marquette by two in, in the Big East tournament, 70 to 68. Like, how do they handle that situation? How does Dan Hurley handle that situation? That's something I think will be interesting if we get to that point late in the game. Yeah, no, it's it's a fair point for sure. And, you know, like you said with the total, um, I feel like if you're Miami, uh, your way to win this game is to to get out and go, right? It, it is, you know, they're they're top 100 in pace. They're not anything to to knock your socks off, but 72 possessions against Texas, 70 against Houston. I mean, that's a pretty eye-opening number right there. There were 70 possessions in the Houston game, and Houston is a team that plays at an incredibly slow rate. So Miami was able to speed up Houston. Now, it helped that Nigel Pack didn't miss any threes uh, in that game, and you know that led to that. But you know what, what's really interesting to me is I had to laugh thinking back to you know, Miami trailed against Drake, comes back and wins that game. Obviously, was trailing against Texas the majority of that game. Comebacks to win comes comes back to win that game. Think back to one of the last regular season games Miami played, which was a horrendous loss, a quad four loss to Florida State when they blew a twenty plus point lead and lost to the buzzer to Florida State. So it's kind of funny how things have flipped a little bit here uh, for the Hurricanes, but. Yeah, I, I I could see this. You know, if Miami gets down, we've we've learned that they're a team that's that's not going to quit, uh, and, and they're going to want to kind of speed it up. And with their guards, they can get hot. So, um, you know, I, I love the advantage that they have at the guard position, um, but the size has just been such a dominant factor. Let me get to this at Circa right now, Monday night. UConn's minus one ten to win the championship. That's the lowest price that I think I've seen out there. Would you look at UConn at minus 110 to win this championship? Would that be a bet you'd be, if you don't already have a futures angle, which, you know, unfortunately, uh, none of us grabbed the 88 to 1 on November 16th on UConn. That would be nice. But would you look at UConn at minus 110 as an angle to bet this game? I I don't know. I mean, again, the thing for Miami is uh, until somebody stops them, like I have to give this offense a, a significant amount of respect. At the same time, I don't really think San Diego State matches up all that well with UConn. 
And if I, I don't like think Sandy- I don't think either one of those teams. I, I think if UConn, and you know these could be famous last words, and if you want to, you know, old takes expose it, that's fine. But I think if UConn wins on Saturday night, I don't think either one of those teams really uh, pose that big of a challenge to to UConn, in my opinion. Yeah, I don't think so either. I mean, but I think Miami I like could San win. Diego State, and I do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I think, again, you're talking about a game with a total up around 150, right? So you're talking about a game that could be pretty high variance. And that's the kind of game Miami wants. You know, I mean, we, we kind of thought, oh, they'll have to slow it down and play this great Houston defense. But Houston had played like the 101st ranked slate of opposing offenses per Ken Palm. Like they were seeing something they hadn't really seen much against Miami. UConn has seen it all. I mean, they play in the Big East. They've seen Xavier. They've seen Marquette. You know, they've seen well, the only thing I guess they didn't really see in the Big East was like an elite defensive team. But Miami ain't that. So I there's certainly a path in which Miami wins this game. And if they're able to speed it up and Omir can stay out of foul trouble, that's probably going to be their best avenue. But I I think that UConn does win this game. And, and I, I don't think, you know, as you said, I don't think either Florida Atlantic or San Diego State match up well with UConn. I just, I, I really, truly don't. Yeah, and you know, Matt Humans, um, and well, I'm sure we'll talk about it later this week when when we have him on uh, the podcast. But you know, he on Veasan Primetime tonight, and I'm sure he'll give it on his show Veasan tonight. Um, gave out minus one ten UConn. I, I can't argue with it. Um, you know, I just. We're going to see how this this market goes, and I know you know we're I'm being a little wishy washy here, um, but you know it's early in the week, uh, but I I do kind of look at Miami here, even though look the metrics are saying that UConn could could win this game by seven eight points, certainly could happen. Omir gets in foul trouble, they're in trouble, but you know the the reason I would hindsight being twenty twenty. The reason I would be more comfortable looking at Miami plus the points as opposed to Gonzaga. Now the number is three points different, but the Miami guards have proven to us, you know, regularly that they can shoot teams back into, into these games. And, you know, that that's where I would look at, you know, Miami not being afraid and, and, you know, being able to, to get after it. And if they get to the line and uh, they're going to make their free throw. So that's why I would, potentially look at Miami here uh, catching the points against UConn. The, the one thing I'll say is, and I don't know exactly what the line would be for UConn and San Diego State. It would be smaller than this number. It, it's probably three and a half, four maybe, something like that. So if, if you look at a, a money line parlay here, a rolling parlay, you're probably in the plus 110 range. I would say because they're minus 240 here. Let's say for for shits and giggles, they're minus 200 uh, in that game against San Diego State, if that's who it is. You're looking at about plus 112 in that situation for a rolling parlay. So if they play Florida Atlantic, they'd be a bigger favorite, probably maybe five and a half, maybe the same thing they are here against Miami. So you're you're kind of banking on San Diego State winning to get a better money line parlay price. I think that's going to come out better than minus 110, but you know, I know that's kind of a little bit more of a uh, more of an advanced concept, and people will probably rather just go take the minus one ten and not worry about it. Yeah, no, and at this point, sometimes you know we talked about it. Um, you know, the rolling parlay, um, 
you know, with uh, with Memphis, for instance, the twenty to one. Well, that got blown up when uh, when Purdue lost. So you know, even though Memphis obviously didn't make it out of the first round, you know, that's why I personally went that route. But I think you know, as you point out, you know, it's a, it's a little bit different now, knowing that FAU and and San Diego State are pretty comparable. So you're probably looking at not too big of a variant there when it comes to. Uh, when it comes to the point spread. All right, before we get to uh, a quick look at the NIT semifinals, um, any anything you're looking to get to the window right now, or is it all still a little bit of a, a holding pattern on these games? Like I said, I think it's still been a holding pattern. I mean, just trying to kind of catch up with, with Major League Baseball. And by the way, I'll go ahead and plug uh, Visa and Daily Baseball Bets, my new MLB podcast. Um, which I'll be doing an NL preview on Tuesday after doing an AL preview on Monday. So you can check that out wherever you get your podcast content. But I think San Diego State minus two, um, probably when we get done recording, will, will be a play that I take a look at here. I just, I love this Florida Atlantic story. I just don't know if if this is, you know, a, a great matchup for them, especially given the venue where it's going to be tough to shoot, I think. So I, I do like San Diego State minus two. And Miami and UConn probably looked to live bet that game, uh, especially with what we talked about with Omir. Lean towards the over, but I I don't think that I'll I'll have that one in pocket when the game starts. Yeah, I, I think the one for me, uh, there's a 132 out there in the total of FAU San Diego State. Looking at the under a little bit, um, and then I, I do I am intrigued by Miami, but I think the public's going to bet UConn here, so I might wait and see uh, if this line moves at all. Uh, sitting there at five and a half. So, um, you know, come Thursday, we'll re- we'll we'll have another podcast. Uh, what, does, be- uh, what does Ken Palm have that game? I don't have it up in front of me. Uh, have the, which uh, game? The Miami UConn game. Eighty to seventy three. So seven points. So uh, seven seven there. Seven at Haslametrics. Eight at Torvik. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't be at all surprising if this line at least goes to six. Yeah. And I was just looking at Torvik. Torvik was pretty bullish on San Diego State, too, because they have San Diego State as a top 10 team. So they actually had them as a three and a half point favorite against FAU. So, uh, you know, the market kind of meeting in the middle, right? Because Ken Palm had FAU plus one and Bart Torvik has FAU uh, plus three and a half total for that game at Bart Torvik, pretty much right on the number 67 64. And Ken Palm was 67-66. So under look for me in that one. Um, 132 available out there. Haven't decided. I might do split unit first half and full game. Uh, but uh, I think under considering what we hit on that FAU is is willing to play at your pace. And I don't know if Vlad Golden is going to have the type of performance that he did against Kansas State. He was great. Uh, what a performance from the FAU big guy in that one. Uh, you know, just a ton of rebounds, uh, getting a bunch of dunks. He was the, uh, you know, I don't want to talk ill about Ryan Kalkbrenner cause he was, he was busting his butt out there, but he ran out of gas. So I wonder if you're going to get a similar, uh, performance from the big man. Cause Kalkbrenner, uh, really kind of just as the game wore on was missing bunnies, felt like he was uh, not getting the boards that he normally gets. So we'll see if, uh, golden, uh, can uh, can one up uh, the performance we saw from Kalkbrenner in the uh, in the Elite Eight. Before we go to the NIT, I want to ask you this. So clearly, if you're a CBS executive, you're not super thrilled with no. how this has all transpired here. 
What are your thoughts, kind of short-term, medium-term, long-term, about the fact that, you know, we got four, five, five, nine in the final four. You've got, you know, ACC, the only major conference, which is kind of hilarious because it wasn't a very good conference this year. Big East is the sixth power conference, I guess, for college basketball. But what, if any, ramifications do you think this has long-term, particularly on Selection Sunday? Because if you're, you know, an athletic director or somebody with your hands in you know, the selection process, you look at this and you go, I don't care what we do. We can't let it ever happen again. Like we have to have premier teams in the final four. So I went on my rant and my bitch fest, you know, prior to the tournament about how they screw over the mid majors. What are they going to do now to the mid majors? Well, they tried when they got rid of one of them, right? Uh, Memphis and FAU played each other. And uh, moving forward, they won't be able to do that because FAU is going to the American Athletic Conference. By the way, I didn't mention this stat. 15-1 and one for CUSA teams this postseason. The only loss was Rice in the second round of the CBI. So a pretty good run for the uh, CUSA. And I believe all four of the teams... Uh, that I mentioned, or all five, are all headed to the AAC next year. But I, I don't know what what can you do. What, what you know, what could they do to to try to quote screw the the little guy more? I mean, you know, San Diego State played Alabama, and Alabama won. Uh, you know, Duke lost to Tennessee. I mean, I guess you could try to avoid a situation like that when you put. So I, I don't know what they can do. It it feels like at every step of the way they try to to kind of put a uh a disadvantage there for for the the little guy and uh you know they overcame it this year and you know I, i'm sure they weren't expecting miami to make this run um they would have much preferred texas or houston i'm sure but you know not much you can do i feel like i don't know what 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 can you do to change it yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it's kind of funny that, you know, we talk every year about the 12 over five and we got two five seeds in the final four, which is kind of amusing. But I mean, you know, do you do something kind of looking at at future sites of regionals, you know, how Alabama started in Birmingham and, and you know, that was a big advantage for them being the number one overall seed. And, and that's something that you probably should get, you know, I mean, they'll they'll send Duke to Greensboro or Charlotte or whatever, whenever they can. You know, is, is that something maybe we see more frequency of teams kind of having a quasi home court advantage, you know, against some of these upstart mid majors if if the the sites line up that way? You know, I mean, do you does the selection committee go so far as to look at guys like Matt Painter and Rick Barnes and go, man, these guys suck in the tournament? Like, we don't want to put, you know, good mid majors up against them because they're gonna find a way to screw it up. You know, I, I don't know, but I'm I feel like there will be a certain level of vengeance next year on Selection Sunday, trying to really undermine as many of the mid-majors as possible. Maybe I need a tinfoil hat for that. I don't no, know. no. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll work that off. We'll work that in the offseason. Real quickly, um, since we are recording this on a Monday night, a little, uh, a little staying power here for the NIT. Uh, North Texas and Wisconsin, I haven't confirmed it, but I'm pretty sure this is the lowest total in a basketball game this year uh 115 and a half north texas laying one and a half in that one against wisconsin and then utah valley uh mark madsen uh you were talking about it off air 
may not be with the team, not because he's the new Cal head coach, according to multiple uh, reports out there, because his wife could be having a baby. And then you've got UAB, the jelly man, Jelly Walker, and we've seen some movement in the market on UAB. This thing opened one and a half out to three with a total of 151 and a half. So, Mr. Burke, anything you want to uh, fire on in the uh, NIT semifinals? Well, I think it's hysterical that the total for the second game is 36 points higher than the total for the first game. That's that's probably one of my favorite things of the year. I think there was like a 112 or a 110, maybe a 109, like a a bad Big West game or something like that. So I don't think this is the lowest total, but it's certainly very, very low. Look, I like North Texas, minus one and a half. It's actually, I would venture to say, one of my favorite plays of the postseason here that we've had so far. When you look at Wisconsin, I give them a ton of credit for getting here, especially because I faded them in their first game against Bradley and they just blew the Braves out. But like Greg Gard didn't even ask his team if they wanted to play in the NIT. Most coaches are like, hey, you know, guys, do we want to keep playing? And, you know, usually the team's going to say yes. He didn't even ask his team. And they've gone in and played really, really well in this tournament. I faded them in the first round. That didn't work out all that well. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I I definitely faded them against Bradley. And I mean, that was at least I you know, didn't try to do it again with the Liberty game. But, you know, for Wisconsin here, look, when you play North Texas, who plays at an absurdly slow pace, you have to have some measure of offensive efficiency to beat North Texas. Wisconsin is 287th in the country in effective field goal percentage offense, 336th in offensive rebounding percentage, 340th in free throw rate, 318th in two-point percentage, and they're basically an average three-point shooting team going to a new venue that they've never played in before. There's nothing to like about this Wisconsin offense in this matchup. So I like North Texas minus one and a half. North Texas is an elite defensive team. They're top 20 in both two-point and three-point percentage defense. They're actually top 10 in two-point percentage defense. And they're a pretty good offensive rebounding team. So if they don't shoot overly well, at least they might get second chances, whereas I don't see Wisconsin really getting any. Just a bad matchup for the Badgers here. I, I like the mean green, and you know they may have a little bit of a distraction as well because I know Grant McCaslin's been linked to that Texas Tech job quite a bit, but I, I, you know, look, when you go to the semifinals of NIT, you're there to win. And I think North Texas is absolutely there to win and keep carrying the, you know, carrying the torch. Well, I guess Florida Atlantic's carrying the torch, but keep running alongside Florida Atlantic here in the postseason. So I like North Texas minus one and a half. To put it in perspective, uh, there's 363 Division One basketball teams. North Texas is 363 in adjusted tempo, 363 in an average possession length. That is why you're looking at a total this low. Uh, the FAU games that they played this year, 50 to 46, 66-62, barn burner in that one. They also had a game this year where they scored 33 points against St. Mary's in their second game of the season. But uh, to your point about uh, Grant McCaslin, uh, it sounds like it's a done deal for him to Texas Tech. However, that news came out right before the Oklahoma State game last week, and they still won that game in overtime, catching points. So, yeah, I'm not going to disagree with you. Uh, on the other hand, I do wonder about Utah Valley. Uh, Utah Valley, what a great performance. I bet them in that spot against Cincinnati. 
Uh, they got a home game, which is, you know, always I feel like when you get an opportunity to back one of these low majors in a home game in the NIT, I tend to try to do that. And, you know, Utah Valley played their first two games on the road, won both of them, and then, you know, beat Cincinnati at home. Here in this spot, you know, the Mark Matson news that he's going to Cal, um, you know, he may not be there because of the birth of uh, his child. UAB is a team that's getting, you know, backing in the market. And, you know, I bet them against FAU in the CUSA championship game. They played just horrifically bad. But since then, they've actually played pretty well here. They, you know, they, they smoked Southern Miss in the opener. Um, you know, beat Moorhead State and then went on the road, beat Vanderbilt. I was really impressed by that performance that they had, you know, on the road against Vanderbilt. So uh, I'm going to take UAB here. Uh, I took a cheap money line price. I wish I got it earlier, but uh, I think there's a 150 out there at DraftKings. So that would be the way I would roll UAB in the uh, in the nightcap uh, to take care of Utah Valley. Anything you uh, see in the uh, in the second game? I did want to mention real quick about North Texas. They've played one game over 70 possessions this season. And it went to double overtime. <laughs> so they they played one game against Charlotte that was 47 possessions. They won by 24, 67, 43. Um, as for this game, really fascinating game. You know, Madsen may have coached his last game for Utah Valley. We'll see, you know, if uh, his fourth child decides to come on Tuesday or not. If not, he's supposed to be there. Also, like, what if his wife goes into labor during the game? Like, is he just gonna, you know, oh, deuces, I gotta go. Like, that's a really weird thing, certainly. Um, also odd here with the NIT semifinals and finals being in Las Vegas, Utah Valley played yep. in Orleans Arena in the WAC tournament. And shit, that's a game that they remember. They had a 23 <laughs> point lead and blew it to Southern Utah, lost on a four point play in the last 10 seconds, also missed a layup of their own to take the lead and win the game. So really strange for them. But I mean, then they go and blow out New Mexico on the road. They beat Colorado by double digits on the road. That Cincinnati game, you got the president with pom-poms in the stands dancing around like fascinating team. Um, but UAB I mean, Jelly Walker is going to be the best player on the floor by a pretty wide margin. They got a bunch of seniors. That's a team that wants to go out on top. They don't have the coaching distraction. Uh, at least because I haven't seen Andy Kennedy really linked to go anywhere. Um, but weird game. Weird, weird game. I, I could see UAB definitely winning this one. I could also maybe see an under just because this is such a high-scoring total where you know both teams are pretty good defensively. I mean, both top 50 in defensive efficiency. Utah Valley is a top 25 team. And one other thing I want to point out real quick, I don't have a, a play officially in this game, but I think people are going to look at this and go, Oh, well, I, I know UAB. I yeah. know the conference they're in. I know what Conference USA has done here in the postseason. But if you look at strength of schedule for these two teams, according to Ken Palm, Utah Valley played the tougher schedule. Torvik has UAB a little bit higher. So don't just assume because you know UAB that they've played the better schedule. Utah Valley's played a you know top 115-ish type of schedule. The WAC was pretty good. This is a battle-tested team. So fun game. But uh, I don't. I don't really know if I have a bet on it. Yeah, I would say much more fun to watch than uh, Wisconsin North Texas. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If, if you like points, you do not want to watch Wisconsin and North Texas. No, but if you like to watch paint dry, 
uh, you can watch Wisconsin, North Texas. All right, that's going to do it uh, for this edition of the College Basketball Betting Podcast. We will be back, like mentioned, next uh, later this week, excuse me. And at some point over the weekend, uh, we will uh, get together and do a podcast getting you ready for the championship game. Uh, but for Adam Burke, you can follow him on Twitter at Skating Tripods. I am Tim Murray. Once again, rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, you guys have done an awesome job helping us out in that regard all throughout the NCAA tournament. Uh, but that's going to do it. We'll be back later this week with another look at the Final Four right here on the VSIN College Basketball Betting Podcast. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's PACASO.com. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information.